have you been feeling a bit introspective lately? Left to your own devices, thinking, I want a dog, perhaps a chihuahua? Well, it's a red letter day. When you go S-H-O-P-P-I-N-G at the Discord and Rhyme Pet Shop, we have a whole menagerie to cheer you up, including insects, insects make me, make me want to eagles, leopards, sharks, wolves, wolfhounds, mastodons, and a half-off sale on several species of small furry animals gathered together in a cave and grooving with a pict. Don't miss this opportunity. You can find our store in every city, in every nation, from Lake Geneva to the Finland Station. At Discord and Rhyme, you are always on our minds. everybody i've got the discord you've got the rhyme let's make discord and rhyme a podcast where we discuss our favorite album song by song you can subscribe to us on apple music stitcher spotify and generally wherever podcasts are found i'm phil maddox rich Bennell, chris willie williams and special guest dave weigel hey welcome back dave how's it going it's it's everything's great <laughs> everything inside <laughs> and outside the house is super normal and great mm-hmm. <laughs> We're living in truly normal times. Yeah, we wanted to have Dave on last month, but he was in primary season jet-setting mode and even came to Michigan, in fact. But now nobody's going anywhere. And you found a monkey's paw and you wished uh, for Dave to be able to do the podcast. Mm -hmm. And he's just some event that will bring Dave home. That's a hell of a monkey's paw. I wished last month, like, I wish something would happen because I'm tired of hearing about all nothing but primary coverage and whoops. (laughs) I think my, my friend Libby says a version of that, which was, I, you know, a picture of the monkey's paw for The Simpsons with the caption, I just want to stop thinking about climate change. <laughs> yeah. I have not stopped. <laughs> anyway, before we get started, if you like what you hear and want to support this podcast with a monthly donation, you can visit patreon.com slash discord pod. And thanks to those of you who have already. We're adding new bonus episodes there on a monthly basis. Finally, if you have any thoughts or feedback about the show, or just want to say hi, we're on Twitter and Instagram at DiscordPod, and you can email us at discordpod at gmail.com. And now, it's time to turn it over to this week's host, Rich. What album do you have for us today, Rich? This week, we have the 1996 album Bilingual by the Pet Shop Boys. Ah, an interesting choice. Uh, Why did you select this album? Well, the Pet Shop Boys are one of my favorite bands, and I know that's true for Dave as well, and I basically wanted to have him on for this episode since we started the show. And here we are. As for why bilingual in particular, well, so here in the US, the Pet Shop Boys are considered kind of an 80s singles act, but in the UK, where pop music is a much more volatile, self-contained ecosystem, they've been kind of just part of the fabric of culture for decades, which I find fascinating. Uh, And when bilingual came out, the group was at the close of its quote-unquote imperial period, and the UK was entering a promising, certain-to-last relationship with the European Union. Resultantly, the album finds the group experimenting musically and looking outward at this brave new globalized world while remaining wry and self-reflective as always. 
I really love this album. It's my favorite by the band, and I'm excited to talk about it. All right. So uh, let's go around the horn and talk about our histories with the Pet Shop Boys. Let's start with you, Rich. <sighs> so there was this channel called VH1. And I remember one of their VJs in the late 90s, John Fugel, saying, saying that he had a theory that all Pet Shop Boys songs were designed specifically to annoy him. Now, so this was just a decade after their songs were on the charts, and this was already the kind of, like, sort of received wisdom you heard about all 80s music ever, that it was lame and only to be enjoyed ironically. Jimmy Fallon has the same attitude toward the band, by the way, which is another reason to hate him. <laughs> but I saw through Mr. Fugelsang's ruse because VH1 would still play Pet Shop Boys videos as part of flashback sets. And even if the staging of, like, Opportunities was literally just Neil Tennant standing in a hole... The song was amazing, uh, and I love the mix of soul vocals and dry spoken word on their Dusty Springfield duet, What Have I Done to Deserve This, even though it made no sense. So I picked up their compilation discography, and it may have ended up the most played CD in my collection when I was in high school. So it wasn't lost on me that the group was important to the gay community, but as a sheltered, socially awkward teen who didn't date at all until college, what I got out of them at the time was that they presented a different, kind of more vibrant timbre of music than what was dominant in the late 90s. And so I followed them ever since and seen them live three times, uh, in 2002 with a friend, in 2009 with my brother, and in 2013 with my wife. And each one was a wonderful, completely tonally distinct experience. So Dave, how did I get you into the Pet Shop Boys? Uh, you might remember the origin more than I than I did because I, <laughs> well, it's a blur because I got into the band when I was living in England where all my interesting stories come from. This is 1998, for the whole of 1998. 99 and I know that Nightlife came out when I was in the UK and I it was the first one I bought new. Maybe that's always exciting. Mm -hmm. The first album you buy by a band that you got like oh the, this band I got into is out with something and I can be among the first to listen to it. Not not their best. But I was into them a little bit before that. So tell me a little bit about how you got me in because I I don't know. Oh, I'm I, I'm a, I mythologize this in my head a lot more than I think actually happened. Uh, the first email that you sent to me, you said that, that thanks for getting me into the Pet Shop Boys, and you signed it single bilingual, which we'll learn about later on this album. That's all. Oh, yes, and I, you definitely did. It was a combination of online reading, and then it was the very Britishness of the band that appealed to me, and I'm just laughing at myself because it's not the first trait people think of when they think of the Pet Shop Boys. I mean, pi pioneering, intellectual, gay dance pop group. I, I still, what I, I, I just was so fascinated by the very particular sort of lifestyle they described. And I kind of, I wouldn't say I recognized it living there, but it was a lot more resonant to me. And then it helped that I was there for this, this band releasing uh, an album that we're not discussing. that <laughs> is not as good as this, but they're getting back <laughs> to this. And I think it also helped, frankly, that like, in our, in our very collector mindsets that at the time I was getting into them, they were starting to reissue their albums with, discs called further listening attached to them with all the b-sides and stuff so they were a really in addition to liking them they were a great band to go down the rabbit hole with because they just kept kept releasing not just remixes and they, they were good at that 
but really good weird original songs. I mean, they just were good, a good band to get obsessed with, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of a newbie-ish to the Pet Shop Boys. I had heard of them mostly because on the old music reviewing forums that I used to hang out on, you know, Rich would talk about them a lot. But I didn't really know any of their songs. The only song of theirs I'd ever heard on the radio, and this is true to this day, was Opportunities. Which I didn't actually even know was the Pet Shop Boys. So when I bought the album that Opportunities was on, I went, oh, it's this song. I love when that happens. The two songs that I actually associated with the Pet Shop Boys that I knew other than that were Always On My Mind and Go West. And I knew those two songs because back when I was in college, I was a hardcore Dance Dance Revolution player. (laughs) And those songs were featured in Dance Dance Revolution. So I knew those. But that was it. And then uh, cut to about a year ago when we're working on this podcast and in our Slack where we discuss things, the Pet Shop Boys kept on coming up over and over again. And I determined, you know, it's about time that I finally check these guys out. So I started picking up all of those versions of their albums with the further listening discs and found that the Pet Shop Boys were very, very good. And I like them a lot now. But... I don't have the lifetime of experience with them that everybody else has, so I'm probably the newest person to the group here. How about you, Will? What's your history with the Pet Shop Boys? Well, I don't know why my brain stored this away and not, like, descriptions of the abductors of the many kidnappings I've seen, but the first time I heard (laughs) about the Pet Shop Boys was on the illustrious TV show Cops when I was, like, 10. Two kids in, like, Boise were getting arrested for being mildly tipsy, and as they were being shoved into the squad car, one of them would not shut up about Elvis because he was our own Ben Marlin. The other kid waved him away, saying, The only decent Elvis song is always on my mind, and I can only deal with that one because the (laughs) Pet Shop Boys covered it. So the name stayed in my head, but... More important in my history with the Pet Shop Boys was the appearance of their video for Opportunities appearing on some VH1 80s marathon I was watching in middle school. The version of the video they showed was the one that was directed by experimental animator Zbigniew Ripczynski, which was even more ambitious for the time than Lionel Richie's Dancing on the Ceiling. And the video blew my mind, the song was funny, And I have been a Pet Shop Boys devotee ever since, up until their series of stinkers immediately following Bilingual. Yeah, we mentioned nightlife, and that kind of like started a wilderness period of sorts for the group. If by wilderness you mean outhouse. (laughs) On that note, why don't you tell us a little bit about this band's history, Rich? Sure thing.
So back in Phil's excellent Blue Easter Cult episode, we talked about how rock critic Sandy Perlman and Richard Metzger would use BOC as a sort of vessel for their, like, bizarre lyrical motifs. Well, the Pet Shop Boys are a case where a critic actually set out to become a pop star and succeeded. After a stint at Marvel UK, yes, he worked at Marvel first before, like, anything else. Neil Tennant worked as an editor at Smash Hits, a pop music magazine aimed at young adults. And... So, in contrast to New Musical Express or NME, who leaned, like, kind of snarky and mean, uh, the tone of Smash Hits was more grounded and sincere, and I've enjoyed every Neil Tennant article I've come across in research for other episodes. He's just delightful. But in 1981, the fateful meeting occurred in a hi-fi shop on King's Road in Chelsea, London. Uh, Neil Tennant needed a piece of equipment for his synthesizer, which sparked a conversation with fellow customer Chris Lowe. The pair discovered that they both loved dance music and began recording music together. So they took the name Pet Shop Boys from some friends who worked at a pet shop in West London, thinking that it fit in alongside groups like the Beastie Boys, which is adorable. (laughs) So the two were particularly inspired by the sound of high-energy dance producer Bobby Orlando, especially the song Passion by the Flirts. It does have a pretty Pet Shop Boysy sound to it. Yeah, and a Blue Monday kind of sound. Is your synthesizer riff, but yeah, very. I oh, mean, that's, that's kind of a it becomes like the Pet Shop Boys thing. Is like not not like big blocky chords, but more of like a, a really fun like doodle doodle <laughs> melody. Yeah. But yeah, uh, okay, that that's revelatory. <laughs> you know what? Later in the the early two thousands, the Pet Shop Boys were asked to contribute to the Back to Mine compilation. And uh, that song wound up on there, on, on Chris Lowe's disc. Well, there you go. Maybe that's a future This Is Comp, but uh, they, but it was just a, a concept of just, like, basically ripping off Desert Island discs but make it something you could buy. <laughs> or just ask artists to make their own yeah, compilation. Yeah, pretty much. Back, back to mine and Late Night Tales were the, mm-hmm. the two big ones. So Neil Tennant wanted to meet Bobby Orlando, so he arranged to fly to New York to interview Sting for Smash Hits, because as an editor, you get to do that. And in the meantime, he met up with Bobby O and gave him a demo tape with a couple of songs on it. Uh, so Orlando liked what he heard, and he ended up recording 11 tracks with Tennant and Lowe, including an early version of West End Girls, which became a club hit in San Francisco and Los Angeles. Uh, so West End Girls specifically came about because the group heard Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five's The Message and were inspired to write their own song about inner city pressure, as Flight of the Concords would put it. Uh, the racial undertones of The Message were perhaps lost on them as Brits, but Tennant and Lowe were inspired by the song's sparse, rhythmic, bass-heavy arrangement. Uh, and it's worth remembering that hip-hop was genuinely new and people didn't really know what to make of it at the time. After cutting ties with Bobby Orlando eventually, the Pet Shop Boys re-recorded the song with producer Stephen Haig adding an atmospheric keyboard groove, an outdoor crowd, and traffic noises to give the recording a full cinematic quality. It worked wonders, and the song topped the charts in both the UK and the States. Sometimes you're better off dead, there's a gun in your hand that's pointing at your head. You think you're mad, too unstable, kicking in chairs and knocking down tables in a restaurant in a West End town. Call the police, there's a madman around, running down underground to a dive bar in a West End town.
and thus opens the Pet Shop Boys Imperial Period, which is a term Neil Tennant invented, by the way, or at least in regards to pop music. He didn't invent it in regards to empires. I didn't even realize that. Oh, nice. He should have called it the Imperiod. Yeah, well, it's a favorite term of Chris Melanthes, I know, the podcaster. Yeah, uh, I, I, I thought he invented it, so now my respect for him has been diminished greatly. Not, not, not really. No, he loves the Pet Shop Boys, and it's a, it's a very, very, I mean, it's such a British term. Uh, so dozens of their singles have reached the UK Top 40 to the point where they've logged 58 appearances on Top of the Pops. And even their album tracks seem to have some cultural currency. Uh, so Mel and Sue from Great British Bake Off did a parody of their song Shopping on their 90s daytime talk show Late Lunch. We're just plastering your conservatory. How we go about it is no mystery. We cover it in gingham, then add a quaint dado, then we have some could I have mine with 14 sugars, please, love? We're D-E-C-O-R-A-T-I-N-G. We're decorating. I think British English makes it easier to, to rhyme because, like, every, every, uh, everything ends in, like, tree or tea. Like, uh, just, like, every, every, the downbeat of, of the blurred vowels. Uh, that, that's mm-hmm. good, man. I wish I could rhyme in British English. I can't rhyme at all. But no, that's exciting to know that that song, which I've, I've I've not found many Americans who are familiar with it, it's exciting they had that kind of cachet out there. Yeah, it's great. And I've, I watched a little bit of Late Lunch, by the way, and it resembles like Double Dare or something from Nickelodeon. The late 90s were wild. My folks were into that show when I lived in the UK. I, I remember the theme song, and, and I'm not going to sing it. it. It's basically dog roll, but uh, that show was totally <laughs> real. and. I mean, when I've gone down to Pet Shop Boys rabbit holes, they've been on some very entertaining... They personally have been on some very entertainingly poorly uh, put together, <laughs> like, daytime talk shows. Well, I love Mel and Sue, and I want them back on Bake Off like everybody else yes. does. Uh, so, Bilingual is the group's sixth album, and it comes at an interesting point. Uh, so, first, the duo had recently wrapped up their Discovery Tour, which included stops in Mexico, Colombia, Chile, Argentina, and Brazil. And the music they heard influenced a lot of the sounds that you hear on here, which is very similar to our first episode on Earth, Wind, and Fire's All in All. Secondly, this is the first album they released after Neil Tennant came out as gay in a 1994 interview with Attitude magazine, though they had coded it for years, like dressing in like leather jackets and stuff on promo pictures. One reason I picked this album in general is because I think it does a good job hitting all sides of the group just through its various songs. Uh, and just before we start, one last note. The Pet Shop Boys are a case like Prokel Harum and Kate Bush where fans have dissected their catalog in very, very minute detail, much to my benefit. So one of them is Wayne Studer at GeoWayne.com, whose site comprises an extensive review of all things Pet Shop Boys with a lot of amazing analysis. And there's also a site, PSB-Catalog.com, that has compiled quotes from Neil and Chris on literally every Pet Shop Boys song, because as Neil has put it, I like talking about music, and I know a lot about the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> He's delightful. But that's all I have. Let's get to the album. All right. Well, let's start with the first track, which is generally a good place to begin on most albums. Uh, Discoteca. <laughs> Discoteca. I used to hear that riff all the time as the theme to a San Francisco radio show called Out in the Bay. <laughs> Like, it would come on, and I would be like, hey, Jen, it's the Pet Shop Boys. When I think of things like that, I think of the baseline from Megadeth's Peace Cells and the outro to the MTV news clips from the 90s. Oh, that just flew in my head, yeah, yeah. Comparable. (laughs) 
Here come the drums! Yes, and then here comes these piles of drums. But it's it's like the big the big clank, uh, splashy drums that you're gonna get used to. Although mm-hmm. not as used to as you think you will for the rest of the album. I mean, this this announces the the this announces the record as a all Brazilian mm-hmm. influence, sort of like Paul Simon's Rhythm of the Saints. And as we will find, yeah. they don't really feel ins- and they feel very inspired by Brazil, but not so inspired that they've like created bossa nova ballads or something. They really just like some flutes and the drums, but the drums are in, the, in this are what like underpin some of my favorite songs by the band. Mm-hmm. Like this, this amazing addition to what can be like on purpose, what can be a kind of fluffy, flimsy sound. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Maybe flimsy sounds a little bit pejorative, but they never have like big, uh, splashy synthesizers like church organ synthesizers. Even, even when they get anthemic, it, it, I definitely like just imagine Chris Lowe behind this small keyboard on stage because I, I, I kind of went in order after I realized I like the band and you're very which takes pure great pop as far as it can go. Then you hear this, you're like, oh, I've literally never done that, and they're. 11 years of existence before, before now. Cool. Uh, right before we started recording here earlier today, I was listening to some earlier Pet Shop Boys albums just to kind of get into the mood for this album. And I listened to Very, the album right before this, and it really just doesn't have anything as propulsive as this. This is probably the most propulsive thing the Pet Shop Boys had recorded to date. And a lot of that is the drums, which you hit the nail on the head. I actually have it in my notes too. They sound a lot like the drums on Paul Simon's Rhythm of the Saints, which I think is probably Paul Simon's best album, but nobody really agrees with me on that. I think people have come around to that. There's a hot take and slate about how this is actually his masterpiece. It doesn't have gumboots on it. That's like a plus. Yeah. And there's, a, there's a connection to that album later on in the album, and we'll get to it later. Yeah, so bilingual, it opens with an absolute behemoth of not just a song, but a double song. Unlike anything I'd ever heard before, definitely in high school. Uh, I would call it a sweep, but it's more like one big creature with two faces or something. It's a Janus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so after a brief instrumental intro, we hear a chant in Spanish for, is there a discotheque around here? Or, hay una discoteca por aquí? Uh, and then there are those amazing drums. That most excellent drumming comes from Shiboom a woman's drumming collector from Glasgow who build their own drums from scratch. Oh, so it's actually not Brazilian. I've been no. fooled this whole time. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they pick and choose from a lot of, like, varied sources for this for album. For the longest time, I thought it was ripped off from a song by Los Fabulosos Thunderbirds. No, for, for all that it's worth, they made the, the drumming is all original to this album. But yeah, there are at least 20 players on Discoteca, including bass drums, military-type snare drums, shakers, timbales, just the works. And apparently that wasn't enough because they then recruited Latin percussionist Robin Jones to record some additional percussion tracks. <laughs> and that's why the drum sound on this song is absolutely massive. Yeah, it sounds great. It's my favorite opening to any Pet Shop Boys album, and it's not even close. It just mm-hmm. has such a thick, full sound to it that is just immediately enveloping. 
I love Can You Forgive Her on Very, which you were just talking yeah. about. But uh, back to bilingual. Uh, so the Spanish lyrics are remnants of an earlier draft of the song about being lost in a, in a country. But the final version, according to Neil Tennant, is about someone dealing with the recent knowledge that they have HIV or AIDS. Now, it's worth remembering that the Pet Shop Boys imperial period, uh, it coincided with the height of the global AIDS crisis, and they spent a good deal of their most successful years watching close friends succumb to the disease. So the loneliness and alienation in a song like Discoteca comes from a very, very deep and personal place, adding a lot of weight to lines like, I'm going out and carrying on as normal. Oh, holy shit. Yeah, it's pretty intense. I hadn't done a lot of research about what Neil said about these songs, so I'm just going with my own interpretation he has said a lot researching the pet shop boys you're just drowning in things neil Tennant has said the only thing i wanted to note was the line quanto tiempo tengo que esperar for how much longer must i wait is fairly chilling 24 years later with all the families ripped apart encaged and imprisoned along our mexican border with the only end in sight Mm -hmm. consisting of a lethal pandemic yeah there's a there's a lot of stuff on this album that in retrospect is, is kind of chilling yeah. Yeah, and then there's one final build. And the song fades out. Yeah. Or does it? <laughs> Shaboom appear to be following us to the next song. Can we keep them? like a rickety yet stable suspension bridge the drums carry us to the next track single bilingual third single from the album and it peaked at number 14 in the uk um they wanted to release a single that was actually called single but everything but the girl beat them to it with a song that sounds like all of their other songs so (laughs) so they retitled it after the chorus hook single bilingual uh so the song is the twisted mirror image of discoteca like flipping its sleepy minor key into a menacing major key and this time our protagonist is a modern Euro businessman holding meet and greets in junior suites. Ooh. Junior suites, just like the participants in the Space Olympics. <laughs> yeah, and he's generally delighting in his air travel experience, which is how you know it's 1996. <laughs> so 
Neil says that there was, quote, a lot of rubbish about the European Union in the papers at the time, and he thought it would be funny to write a song just about the little minutiae of business travel. And I have a clip from Neil about this song that I want to play right here. We like, actually, the fact that Britain is part of Europe and that we're Europeans. Um, and, you know, in my lifetime, things have changed so much. That, like, really, you feel nowadays that we are part of Europe. And so I thought it would be nice to have a song where the lyrics kind of dealt with that in an amusing kind of way. Yeah, so about that. (laughs) (laughs) So part of the song is based on the boy's own experiences, which is hinted at with the line, and after work, explain how I feel. Perdoname, me llamo Neil. Uh, Neil Tennant put that in, actually, because he likes the song The Look of Love by ABC, in which Martin Fry refers to himself, and he wanted to do it himself. (laughs) In the the music video uh, for this song, he is like Neil plays a kind of yuppie businessman and he's like fl- mm-hmm. flirting with a girl at a bar who theatrically rolls her eyes at him, which is a fair yeah. response. If, if famous, not straight person, Neil Tennant is flirting with you in a, in a bar. <laughs> the video is great too. It's filmed entirely at an airport in London and it's just like beautifully choreographed. But there's a broader point here in the song about the loneliness and the emptiness of this increasingly common lifestyle. It's not all fax machines and free shower curtains. <laughs> You never get a sense of what the narrator does except travel. And then at the end, you get a blast of the ominous chord that opened Discoteca and the return of the Ayuna Discoteca por aquí vocals, implying that our protagonists are, if not the same person, at least living the same frightened inner life. So back when music was more difficult to hear, the All Music Guide used to have these like super compressed 30 second real audio clips. Yeah, real oh, audio. Oh, I remember those. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it was always of the first five songs on every album. And when I was scoping out Bilingual, I listened to the first two clips and thought they were broken. <laughs> why did both songs have the same very not Pet Shop Boys drumming? <laughs> and why was it so loud and weird? Uh, but then I bought the album and it all made sense. I love this song. And by song, I mean this just entire amazing contraption that opens the yeah. album. Oh, yeah, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember like, first listening to the CD and thinking, like, oh, my God, they're doing it. They're doing it. Like, you know, like they've, they, <laughs> they're breaking the fourth wall. They've never, they've never like, done this with two songs before. Yeah, he turns right to the camera. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the right expression, but, you know, it had the word breaking and wall in it, so mm-hmm. I thought it was getting there. Things get a little bit more uh, Pet Shop Boys as usual after this, but just these first two songs are just such a break with their earlier stuff while still sounding like the Pet Shop Boys. It's a very impressive feat. Mm -hmm. There's a good chunk of me that wishes that Single and Discoteca would have been flipped in the running order. I do do love a good melancholy track to open a Pet Shop Boys album, but Single bursts through the door with the Pet Shop Boys living and embracing their role as an in-demand international touring band who flies in business class and does meet and greets with the VIPs and argues about the hotel rooms and where to go for dinner. (laughs) Neil makes a big point of repeating I'm single bilingual throughout the song as though it's a pickup line he requires. (laughs) However, in Discoteca, Mm -hmm. it's revealed to be just a bullshit mask as he wanders the streets of an unfamiliar nation without speaking the language and just sort of flop sweating for a hookup to brush away the loneliness. 
And I feel like the two songs work better in that sort of deflating order than its current build, but they're both absolutely great. Even the business class is kind of a joke, too. Like, according to them, on short flights, uh, business fl- business class is a ripoff because you get no more leg room. That's I've seen enough airplane disaster movies to believe that to be true. No, I mean, this song always spoke to me uh, in the last five years or so. I mean, the various Pet Shop Boys have been pretty resonant, but this one, I uh, picked up a job... Uh, the same job they had, but a recording job that uh, got more and more travel heavy, and just the ironic detachment of this song, uh, making fun of the life of just constantly going to hotels where you get sort of modest uh, upgrades to your to your lifestyle. <laughs> like the, the narrator being so proud of this stuff that's like their effects is great, right. <laughs> and uh, uh, saying it is all like the really pathetic stuff in the song. Oh, it was always super funny to me. But like, if it Dave, didn't, like, once I started travel all the time, I was like, yeah, eh, that's pretty much it. Dave, I want to hear a version of the song, except the lyrics are replaced by your tweets about like flight delays. Just a bunch of like anecdotes about the Des Moines Hampton Inn uh, <laughs> instead of these lyrics. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, this is this is actually, I mean, the Pet Shop Boys have an unusual amount of songs uh, for band about work that are not like, screw the boss, that are more just you know, opening scene of Fight Club. Yeah, I guess this is my life, isn't it? Um, Since my favorite one of those. That is true. It's pretty great. All right. So up next, uh, we got Metamorphosis. Track three. All right, everyone, strike a pose. song but i'll spare you and our listeners <laughs> but every now and then and often at night a particular feeling would surface in spite of what i told myself and tried to deny I kept on asking the question why These days I'm really paranoid about sound escaping from my headphones and annoying people, but I was much less self-aware when I was 15, so I'm pretty sure a lot of people on my bus home from school got treated to this song over and over and over again. (laughs) As I said earlier, Neil Tennant officially came out as gay in a 1994 interview, though as he later put it, quote, Now it's all sort of normal and healthy. It's a bit boring, really. It makes me feel like telling everybody that I'm straight. I told Ian McKellen that I I was sick of being gay and I was going to get a girlfriend, and he said, Don't tell anybody. And then Neil Tennant went on to add, I mean, 50 years ago, I'd have been married with three children and having affairs with men on the side, and frankly, I'd probably be happier. Reading Neil Tennant is an endless delight. 
so yeah, this is the least subtle song ever written, or at least it's in the top five or top ten, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, the song actually started off as just the opening couplet, please allow me to try and explain, I'm living proof that man can change, and then Neil realized it could be expanded into a song about coming out. And voila, you have metamorphosis. Um, it's delivered as a rap because, as he says, quote, I thought it was good to say these things in a form of music which is considered rather macho. So this sounds less macho to me and more like the Greta Garbo and Monroe Dietrich and DiMaggio rap from Madonna's Vogue. <laughs> but I respect their intent. Yeah, I can't tell if he's being ironic or not when he says that. It's hard to tell when you when you read them. There are all sorts of jokes. This was a bit like West End Girls was was also kind of rap. So like he's been doing mm-hmm. every, every even like uh, Left My Own Devices like the Neil Tennant like vocal is not that different than like you know Frank Zappa or other people who do like Sprechen song basically with there should be a Fred Schneider metamorphosis. The, I guess both of them children born after the eighties see them and they're like why why did they pretend not to be gay like or, or I guess with Fred Schneider I guess uh, it wasn't the same thing but yeah the I remember that it was weird to me in the late 90s that there was a period where it was not obvious that Neil Tennant and Chris Lowe were gay but well Chris Lowe has never actually officially commented on his sexuality uh but Neil Tennant has repeatedly well I'm wrong about everything I... <laughs> yeah so so the president tells me <laughs> but like uh yeah this song is very very blunt and direct and there's there's nothing arch about it which makes it stand out for me in all of the Neil Tennant I mean like he usually uses this pose to be a, a, at least a little bit arch and a little bit distant. I mean, the, the rap in the in the, when Neil Tennant deploys it is often, and I'm thinking of left my own devices, you know, right it, over the top character that he is playing. Whereas this is it's just nope. Um, he's telling his own story in a very happy way with the most, I guess, buoyant imaginable backing track. I mean, every song there's mm-hmm. a couple of moments in this album that I don't think of aged super well. I just don't think that that early that well this is by 96 at this point but that that sort of 90 CNC music factory beat I don't think has aged as well as a lot of other things that fetch up boys. Well so I agree. That's that's the thing. Uh, the, the the song doesn't quite fit in with the album sonically and that's because it dates from the early 90s when songs like this were still being written and performed at all. Well it makes a lot more sense now. Yeah and uh, so the, but those vintage house vocals that you hear throughout the song are actually they're from the great Sylvia Mason James who is a session vocalist who's basically the group's in-house diva. Uh, and she appears extensively on their previous album, Very. She sings on the theater, especially. She's great on that song. And you even get a bit of Chris Lowe vocals uh, in the final verse, which I think qualifies this as a posse cut. Dreaming is easy, like the tough I got the picture. The most important thing is not to end up bitter. Because when you start to feel increasingly forlorn, oh, warmth, love comes right around the corner. It may not last, but here am I. Once a caterpillar, now a butterfly. It can seem strange, but when you reminisce, it's all about change. I love Chris's non-singing. Yes. So the the song that the vocals from this song really remind me of or would be uh, The Lonely Island's Jizz in My Pants. <laughs> You're right. Last week, I saw a film. As I recall, it was a horror film. Walked outside into the rain. Checked my phone and saw you rang and I jizzed in my pants. I feel like The Lonely Island had to basically be taking the style like straight off of this song because... This is a style that the Pet Shop Boys had used a couple times before, but here it really sounds like that. The first time I heard Jizz in My Pants, yeah, I did think, like, this is doing, like, a Euro Disco Pet Shop Boys thing. I didn't think Metamorphosis in particular, but yeah. 
Right. You know, you're right. One one reason I like The Lonely Island much better than Jimmy Fallon is that they recognize the talent of the Pet Shop Boys. Oh, that song is great. Just, oh, Just My Pants is definitely like a Euro Euro disco 90s track. That's where they reach back and grab for that. Absolutely. I didn't think about it till now. I like this one a little bit less than the first two because, again, this is a little bit more dated. It's a little bit more just like standard dance music, but it's still, you know, very good. It's just the first two songs on this are just really towering, and this feels like a little bit of a business as usual come down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think listening mm-hmm. to the record at the time, I remember thinking, boy, I hope the third song continues in this cool big drum sound, and then it was you know, Vogue by Neil Tennant instead, which <laughs> and, and, and again, like not a bad song. It just, it, it throws you a little bit more, which is good. It, it like, this, it describes how sonically this album is going to go different places. So you need to be told. Yeah. I didn't love it at the time. And then um, I think I'm just too cynical for, for, for really honest lyrics. Like this is the, the Neil Tennant I know is talking about like Tony Ben and uh, the Boer Wars and stuff, not himself. Right. Although anytime Chris Lowe shows up on the mic, you know you've got something interesting brewing. Armani, Armani, uh, uh, Armani. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like Chris Lowe's role in the group in general, or like, in, well, he created their image basically with like Neil walking and like you know Chris walking just slightly behind him doing the same thing. Uh, the cover of Actually, where Neil is yawning and Chris is just like looking forward sternly, uh, like all of that is Chris. It's great. I remember reading in the the Spin Alternative record guide that a lot of Pet Shop Boys fans were angry when they found out that Chris actually contributes to the songwriting. They just wanted him to be a prop. (laughs) I'm sure he was delighted to hear that, and I'm not joking. Yeah, no kidding. Very, their previous album, it dealt a lot with the the stigma and the sort of enforced rituals of, of gay life on songs like Can You Forgive Her and To Speak Is A Sin. So mm-hmm. I've always found it completely invigorating that bilingual basically says to hell with all that and very much goes the pride route. I've always felt like the the, the exuberant female backing vocals were a little much for this historically introverted band, but this is a more than fine song nonetheless. But they do deploy her. I mean, Go West has a very kind of similar big hooky female vocal. I mean, a bigger hook one. It's much more memorable. That's kind of like the the pride float Pet Shop Boys when they really want to go go big with the um, gay pride messaging. And go west. I thought that was an all male uh, chorus, wasn't it? No, there's the there's the woman who sings the hook uh, in the video. She's dressed mm-hmm. the Statue of Liberty for some reason. Um, I do not remember that. I guess that is going west for Neil Tennant. He has this kind of ad libby, you know, go west. That's what we're gonna do. Whoa, you know, stretches it out over a couple mm-hmm. octaves. I stand corrected. She's totally in it. Anyway, there's <laughs> like, but that's because they were covering the the village people. I mean, they just when yeah. they really go loud with um the messaging, then they bring the, I, yeah. I definitely the female vocal comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like it, it works for that. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, I, just, I just mentioned pride floats, and actually, if you picture a pride float and like a bunch of people, you know, sponsored by Delta Airlines or something, <laughs> <laughs> come, ah. at least in my city, the pride floats have tons of corporate sponsors uh yeah perfectly for that but i mean that's mm-hmm. they have so many the stuff i personally love about the band is not the party side um but that's why the album yeah. is gonna be a little bit richer as we get deeper in yeah definitely i just i just felt like it didn't work on i felt like it was a little much on this particular song neil and chris have said like in terms of sequencing that they would remove this song and the next one and i think i agree but in the case of this song i still like it a lot on that note let's move on to the next song <laughs> electricity what is it? What are you doing in San Francisco? 
I'm an artist, honey. You'll see me sometimes making crazy pictures out of music and rhymes. More rapping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna have Bono singing. I feel numb. <laughs> <laughs> well, you two did have their hit, Discoteca. <laughs> So Bilingual wasn't poorly reviewed, but it also didn't really make a huge wave, especially compared with previous ones in the UK. And it, I think part of it is that this song brings the album to a screeching halt for five freaking minutes. Yep. Like, it's really the length. Yeah, you got it. It's yeah. more than anything else. It's also repetitive, like real repetitive. Yeah, it, it's a grinding, slow, sleazy groove, like sung from the perspective of a drag queen who puts on, quote, the greatest show with the best effects since discotheques and the sexolettes as the song informs you over and over and over. Uh, so Discotex and the Sexolettes were a novelty act of the early disco era with a super-duper flamboyant front man with a feather boa, and their big hit was Get Dancing, which I figured this entire panel first heard on the Simpsons Thanksgiving episode. Oh, that's what this song is. <laughs> Western Hemisphere, the dancingest hemisphere on Earth. Yeah, and those clips that you keep hearing throughout the song are from the 1942 movie My Gal Sal, starring Rita Hayworth and Victor Mature. And the Pet Shop Boys just heard the movie on TV at the time and thought that it fit in well with the song, especially just talking about San Francisco and the get out of here and take your cake with you. The movie's on YouTube if you're interested in watching it. Yeah, it's from from what I read, somebody just left the TV on while they were recording, as professionals do. Mm-hmm. So it's not not quite as clever as the Audrey Hepburn clip from the Felice Brothers song Ponzi. It's just sort of <laughs> just sort of there. Yeah, the clips give the song a nice ambience, but it's still pretty far and away my least favorite on here. I'm gonna vote this one off of the album because that's because I can do that. Yep, it's the worst song on the record. I agree. It's Bye fine. Far. It's less that it's a bad song and more that it's just out of place. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really fit sonically with the rest of the stuff here. The attitude of it is kind of different. It's, I don't know. I still think it's a pretty good song. But I guess. I mean, I it's think nice. It's, uh, just a little, eh, it doesn't belong here. If they were doing like a grinding trip hop album or something and there were like similar songs that explored this style more, maybe, but yeah. This song just screams B side. And there are some B sides from this album that are considerably better. I say remove this, maybe put on The Boy Who Couldn't Keep His Clothes On. And you have a much better album, in my opinion. They have some really great B-sides, yeah. I think Truck Driver and His Mate is from this era, too, right? Yep, it was the B-side to, I believe, before. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that, I think that, that's my thought about this, too, is this This is one of the best packages of Pet Shop Boys music. They just really, they had great stuff that made it onto the, the B- they always have good B-sides, but it, there's some of my favorites are from this period, and that makes this, this song clogging up the first half of the album even less understandable. Uh, I mean, I think it even I even tolerate more in the later part of the album, but there's just better slow songs with better atmosphere and melody that come in later. So yeah, 
I'm not going to disagree with anybody. It'd be interesting. <laughs> I have the same opinion. Yeah. Theoretically, it's nice to have a song on here that whose production doesn't sound like anything the Pet Shop Boys do. It sounds like it was put together by a quizzical cow. But it just followed a spoken Neil song. And anytime they try to sound contemporary, they just wind up sounding like Ammonites. Let's get to some better songs. Yeah, let's. Let's let's leap up with Say A Vida A, That's the Way Life Is. Shaboom! The Way Life Is was the second single from Bilingual, <laughs> and it hit number eight in the UK. Uh, so the Rocks Back Pages podcast interviewed Neil Tennant recently, and, he, and they asked him what the happiest song they've done is, and he said this one because they didn't write it. Sa uh, Vida A, That's The Way Life Is, it's based on the song Estrada de Paixão by the Brazilian group Oladum, whose album Neil picked up in Sao Paulo. O sopro que vem do mar me faz Oh, that is close, isn't it? <laughs> it's the same song. It's the same. Wait a second, how'd they get away with that? That's the same song. They, they, they credited them. It's a co-write. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, by the way, Elodum appeared on both Paul Simon's Rhythm of the Saints album, which we mentioned earlier, specifically on The Obvious Child, and they also appeared on They Don't Care About Us from Michael Jackson's History. Did Paul Simon credit them? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Wait, Paul Simon actually did credit them? That's all some of the mystery, too, because it was the the Portuguese in that song is like a little bit weird. Yeah, about that. So in Portuguese, Se Vida A actually translates to if life is dot dot dot. It's a fragment from the original song. It's the first part of the phrase Se Vida A Tao Pura A or if life is so pure. Oh, so instead of looking this up, Neil phoned up a Spanish friend of his and asked him what it meant. And he said, that's the way life is. So the friend realized his mistake and later phoned back up. But Neil said, too late. I like the sound of it. <laughs> I just figured it was idiomatic or something. I, I figured it was like a play on que sera, sera uh, whatever will be. Will right, be. exactly. Yeah, it might be even, but uh, you never know with them. But so as a fellow copy editor, I'm tutting Neil for that. But on the other hand, they couldn't just pop it into Google Translate in 1996. They had to use like stupid books and stuff. So. Well, 
In French, it translates to the word empathied. Ah, good to know. Which I, I like the implied equivalence there. Uh, yeah, and the lyrics uh, were written to cheer up a depressed friend. And the song indeed always makes me feel really, really good. And we have another appearance by Shiboom, this time accompanied by a brass section. And they make the production sound just enormous and boisterous. Like, you're not just singing it on your porch, but celebrating on a giant plaza with thousands of friends standing at least six feet apart from one another. Yeah. Yeah, this is a big leap back after the last couple songs. This sounds more of a piece with the first two songs, and it's similarly great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is what I wanted when I, when I, when, when single had faded out, what I was expecting more of. Like, give it, all right, give it to me album, and then, you know... At the slot machine, put out like uh, two cherries instead of what I wanted, and then they, we got this. <laughs> yeah, it's like you get snatched off to another album for a couple of tracks, and a Cars for Kids logo. <laughs> but boy, this just has a great melody. Like the arrangement is fantastic. It's just really good. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, this this is one of my favorite songs uh, of theirs. Period, and that's what it drove me nuts for years that it did not have. A meaning <laughs> that, the, that the words didn't mean anything. Uh, so I'm glad to have that, that mystery solved. I mean, the, the only people I would not play this song for, frankly, were people who spoke, spoke Portuguese, of whom I know not a ton, but several. I forget when, what year this was, but even there, I met, I, I met, so, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in my own life. I met somebody oh. in the like 2014 or 15 or something who worked at the Brazilian embassy in DC. And I was like, oh, by the way, it's this Pet Shop Boy song. What are they saying? And she's like, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> I felt very humiliated, but as a song, it's it's wonderful. I mean, like they they soup everything on it. I mean, because they're ripping off this other melody, except for their own middle eight. I do like that Chris Lowe always has a fresh middle eight if they're covering and ripping something off, right? Yeah. The same mm-hmm. the the same thing for there where the air is free and go west. That's all him. That little gothic gloom section, I think, is all him in this. And you can tell when the cold wind of the. Uh, the Pet Shop Boys style comes in to create something new. It's, it's always minor key and a little bit mournful. All right, and then back to the party music. They're always ready with the John Lennon life is very short section. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the last song on the first half of this album. It always comes as a surprise, except it doesn't because it's always track six. So before the actual song starts, it always comes as a surprise has a brief introduction, opening with the third instance of the quote-unquote bilingual chord which we previously heard at both the beginning of Discoteca and the end of Single Bilingual. And this isn't a concept album on anything more than a thematic level, but they threw that in just to give the album a feel of cohesiveness. And that quiet murmuring you hear in the background is a backward sample of Corcovado Quiet Nights of Quiet Stars by Stan Getz and Astrid Giberto, which we'll hear right now. Quiet nights of quiet stars Quiet chords from my guitar Yeah, so this but backwards. And we then hear a brief interlude played on a barimbo. Which is neither a guitar, drum set, nor mellotron, so we know nothing about it. Producer Mike, what's a barimbo? It's actually pronounced bidimbao and it is a Brazilian instrument believed to have originated in southern Africa. It consists of a curved bow, to which is attached a single string and a resonating chamber at the bottom, usually made from a gourd. As it is primarily a percussion instrument, it's difficult to actually play a song on the bidimbao. But much like the tambourine in America, this has not prevented it from having its own widely popular theme song, which you're hearing behind me right now. By the way, I didn't actually produce this episode. 
Back to you, Producer Rich. That is true, but Producer Mike, you are still the Chris Lowe of this podcast. So after a brief instrumental intro, we get to the meat of the song. I can't be cool. is just a lovely ballad about not being able to believe that someone is in love with you, but yet it happened anyway. The song started off as more of a Phil Collins-style ballad before being rearranged into something more interesting, which makes me wonder if uh, Phil Collins' But Seriously album, or maybe both sides, would be better albums if you just unleashed Chris Lowe on them. They almost (laughs) certainly would be. By the way, I haven't gotten much of a chance to focus on Chris because Neil Tennant gives about 97% of their interview copy. He talks so much, but, and part of the gag is that Chris is mostly silent, but occasionally just pops in with an amazing deadpan quip, and that's just part of the joke. Right. But he's the architect behind the Pet Shop Boys sound, the man orchestrating all the sounds you're hearing from behind a pair of shades. Uh, but I don't really have anything to say about it. It always comes as a surprise, except that it's a, it's a nice, like, little ballad in the middle of the I album. I like how it kind of sounds like it could be a smoky vocal showcase, but... They kind of make it subtler than that. They don't go over the top with the vocals. They have that gentle electronic pulsing. It's a nice song. It's not uh-huh. a standout, but it's nice. Yeah, it's a pretty basic Pet Shop Boys ballad melody. It's really it's the instrumentation that makes it really warm and memorable. Like, but it's one that it, it I didn't go back and revisit it as much until I was going back for this show and realized how much I'd liked it. I mean, it, I think it 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 suffers because I I, I started to lump all the slower songs in the record together, and the first two were. Or sorry, and uh, electricity is so much less impressive. Um, but this is this is what I want. This is the Pet Shop Boys like uh, ballad I want. It's just not. As, it's not as. I mean, there's a couple of notes in here that remind you of Jealousy or some of their really amazing ballads. But it's merely very mm-hmm. good. But then it has this wonderful arrangement that they again never touch again after this. After this record, it's an okay song mm-hmm. made very good by the arrangement. I <laughs> I can't imagine anyone ever thinking. Oh boy, a Pet Shop Boys ballad. This is where they really shine. I'm glad I've timed my Molly to peek at this song. <laughs> That's some good timing. Gads, this is drab. <laughs> Neil really abandons his abundant wit around this point in the band's career. And while his newfound sincerity mostly works on this album with its celebratory vibe, it can totally tank songs with less interesting musical material behind him like much of the next decade of their career. Yeah, Chris Willie Williams noted Pet Shop Boys ballad hater. I I like Jealousy. I, Jealousy is probably the last True, Pet Shop yeah. Boys ballad I really liked. No, there is a certain like chamber popness to the to 2000s Pet Shop Boys. Well, just think about like what think about what Stephen Merritt would do with this material. Like give him this title and tell him to write a song. And how much more 
witty and memorable it would be yeah and this lyrically you make a good point about that i still find it like the pleasure of listening to the song but it's so much more so, so much less memorable than the the songs that sounded similar five six years ago uh i mean rent is pretty mm-hmm. unforgettable and you can slot it into any sort of any sort of musical and this is fine this Fair is enough. a nice little yeah i think this is a case where like the a banal lyric like actually like reading the lyrics it's pretty they're pretty basic and cheesy but like the warmth of the arrangement really enlivens it for me I guess. I mean, I, I don't loathe it, but it's I I do not at all like it. Well, let's move on to a song I'm pretty sure we're all going to like quite a bit more, A Red Letter Day. Yeah, so a prelude. Neil and Chris really wanted to build on the album's global post-Cold War, we're all friends theme. Uh, so Neil flew to Russia and recruited the Choral Academy of Moscow for the intro of this song. And it was a disaster. Uh, so the conductor was the only person wearing headphones and the chorus just kind of sang whatever off key. And then afterwards, uh, the BBC interviewed one of the kids and it went as follows. Do you enjoy singing pop music? No, it was just a job. Do you know the Pet Shop Boys? No. Do you like the song? No. End interview. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Van Morrison interview. Yeah, so as we start this clip, keep in mind that all of these people are miserable and hate the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> fourth single from bilingual it's funny every time Uh, and it hit number nine on the uk charts so the song is enjoyable enough i really really like it but it's always felt to me kind of like a retread of their uh, well dave mentioned it their hit cover of the village people's go west it's very very similar And that song had just appeared on their previous album, Very. And this song is basically an, an intentional sequel. Uh, Go West has the very well-worn chord structure of Paco Bell's Canon in D. And so to build on that, the boys loosely based this song on the choral Ode to Joy from Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. You know. <laughs> Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. 
not exactly the same, but it loosely follows the same pattern. So a red letter day just refers to marking a day you're looking forward to on a calendar. And I've read this song interpreted both as a gay pride anthem and political commentary, especially with those opening lines. Go to work Mm -hmm. and take your calls. Hang the fruits of your labor on the walls. Uh, But the next song is a lot juicier in terms of politics. So I'm just going to leave a red letter day at that. I like it. It sounds like a Pet Shop Boys song. Chris Lowe doesn't like it, but I disagree with him. But what do you guys think? This is my favorite song on the record. I really, really like this one. It's um, it's interesting because it has a gorgeous melody, but it's grafted to that fast electronic dance rhythm, which should sound cheesy, but it somehow doesn't. Because I can imagine there's a lot of people who are just, let's take this pretty melody and then make it dancey, but that always sounds ridiculous, but... This one really works. I really like this song. Yeah, this this for a while was my favorite song on the album. I, I'm not sure if it's um, this particular version. The album version, I don't think, is aged as well in my mind. What I always liked, actually, was an album. The <laughs> I keep mentioning the self-metal content, um, but the, one of the remixes they did of this, they added, an, I mean, Chris Lowe does this a lot of remixes, they added another melody on top of it, another yeah. kind of higher, higher key synthesizer melody. That mm. version I always loved, and it's a little bit longer... I mean, that would always be at the top of like a workout mix, and which is a Pet Shop Boys song. Not, not many are that suited for a workout mix, but like when he piled that on top of it, I liked it more. And as a song, yeah, it's, um, it goes for the, the same, the tricks that any songwriter, I guess, knows will get you hooked. Um, I mean, yeah. this, so it, it does feel like they're going over old turf. This one just, it was so jumpy and it was, it was a little bit more like them. Uh, that I always liked it. I don't think it's it's just sad quite as well with me. And and certainly the I remember the video for this is just a series of people in very long lines. Or if you're uh, Neil Tennant cues mm-hmm. uh, the Pet Shop Boys <laughs> materializing around them to comment on it. Yeah, things will get better at some point, but not a very yeah, not they, a very deep message. Yeah, but they're all, but 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 they're all lining up to jump off of a cliff. Yeah, I think this also this period in British music is that this was mid '90s, right before Tony Blair's Labor was going to come in and win. And a lot of the political songs from this period are, are, are very funny, in retrospect. Uh, like the Oasis, some might say, is another one, where they're not really dis- specific about any particular pro- problem. They're just about how things have been pretty bad for a while, and think things will get better pretty soon. That's the entire the entire point of, of a lot of these songs from that era. Like literally, the the Labor Party's theme song was a song called "Things Are Gonna Get Better." The very funny British Labor Party ad that's just. Tony Blair walking to the polls to vote and everyone be everyone being super excited. Um, and that's the entire <laughs> ad. That's totally contentless and it ends with Tony Blair smiling. The point being, in England kind of going back through that stuff at the time, this felt like all those songs that are like, yeah, that's, this is pretty good. We figured it out, folks. Things are going to be fine. That's funny. I will send this. It has some very good 1997 fashion and uh, just an entire community being ex- super excited to see Tony Blair. But no, I, I've been t- to too tangent focused on this enough <laughs> uh, i like the song i think it doesn't blow me away as, as much as it did since i i mean it's not even that the song's gotten less good it's just i've heard so much more exciting since the synth pop yeah that's also based on classical songs that this is like in the in the in the high tier but not my favorite me too it reminds me too a little too much of go west from very right down to the choir uh but it's so delightfully celebratory that it's hard to care for me mm-hmm. it's like the 80s metallic albums where they just did like well everyone seemed like uh call of cthulhu so we're gonna do orion on the next album and people just get <laughs> used to the fact that there's a song that sounds like a 
like a Viking instrumental song, right? And, and indeed, right. I like both the songs. I like both this and Go West. That's true. Yeah. This is the Pet Shop Boys' Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> yes. Yeah, That's. I think that's fair. All right. Let's move on to the next track, Up Against It. Yeah. Against it basically just means up against the grindstone, and the song is kind of about how the ripple effects of history carry a lot of collateral damage when you're living day to day and don't just get to sit back and read about it in the newspapers. The setting in this case is 40s post-war Britain, with working class Britons suffering long, severe winters and product shortages, even though they supposedly just won the war. And it's basically the same theme as uh, She's Bought a Hat Like Princess Marina, which we just talked about in our previous episode about the kinks. So conceptual continuity. But then at the end, Neil closes the song with The More That It Hurts, The Less That It Works, which is a reference to the abysmal 1995 Tory campaign slogan, It Hurt, But It Worked. Oh. <laughs> yeah, snapping the song back to the present day. I, I would say wow about that slogan, but I, I live in a country where the slogan, It's the Economy Stupid, has devolved into It's the Economy Die. So I know we don't really have a leg to stand on. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Uh, but I love that Pet Shop Boys songs are about things uh, a lot of the time. Like, Neil Tennant has frequently criticized modern pop music for being self-centered, uh, and he yelled at a cloud about this on their 2012 song, Ego Music. Ego music, it's all about sense of entitlement, sense of entitlement, ego music. But I admire that Neil tries to engage with the world around him, and he's mouthed off during every British government during the Pet Shop Boys tenure, uh, be it Thatcher-era consumerism on their 80s albums, Tony Blair on their 2006 single I'm With Stupid about him and George Bush. And David Cameron and our current political nightmare in, well, hear it for yourself. I love that he wrote a song called I'm With Stupid about George W. Bush. It's the least subtle thing imaginable. But for such a bookish song, this is really scrummy, as Mary Berry would say. <laughs> the guitar is by Johnny Marr from The Smiths, and he suggested those uh, really coming up against it, woo, touches at the end of the song uh, to give it kind of a Quincy Jones touch. That never really occurred to me, but it does like kind of sound like the backing vocals from Baby Be Mine or something. I, I love this song. Yeah, this is mm -hmm. a great one. It's... It's a weird genre. It's like melancholy dance music because this is mm -hmm. danceable, but it's all just incredibly sad sounding, which shouldn't work, but it kind of does. And that's the Pet Shop Boys. And I want to give an extra shout out here to the hook at the end of the verses where he sings, long after the war has ended, we're still in fatigues because that's just a hell of a hook. Yeah, I, mm. I, I like this. Song. It also has the, 
that shiny house piano, which I, I'm kind of a huge sucker for. I mean, they're they're I love that, it. That is a style that really started in the mid '80s and kept going. I mean, I think the pet, Chris Lowe and Neil Tennant kept it going much longer than anyone else in in this corner of pop. Uh, and I, mm-hmm. I love that song sound. I'm a sucker for. It. I mean, this is this is like by numbers, Pet Shop Boys, where you have a bouncy melody, and then once Neil Tennant starts singing, you're thinking. Um, but yeah, I, I I love this one. I mean, I, I the only thought I had negatively when I was listening to the original album was that I missed the Brazilian stuff, and I probably should have gotten <laughs> over that by this track. Well, there's a little bit of uh, of the like latin flavor to the like guitar break i suppose there's song. a bit there's a bit but if i think if i had to pick one song off this album that's just quintessential pet, pet shop boys it'd be this one mm-hmm. i think it could chime out of any of their prior albums and it'd be a highlight i like the line about like a winter as slow as pinter like nice harold pinter diss neil Tennant. <laughs> i'm not smart enough to get that <laughs> oh, Pinter's like a like a, a British play, playwright who's. I mean, they're very kind of sparse, new, new, agey, depressing plays. Yeah, a lot of portentous pauses, right? Yeah, oh, okay. really, I've never actually seen any of them. I've just heard of him. That's all. I'm. I, I pretend to be a, a literate person at parties. <laughs> this is. I mean, Pinter. They like. I remember um, many street preachers um, who were pretty. Yeah, they were popular at this time in the UK. Also had a single with a Pinter reference in it. Um, well, this wasn't a single. Really? They, they have a they have a song that that name checked Norman Mailer and Harold Pinter in the chorus. That's the kind of band they were. They're yeah. like always a lot clunkier. Where this this feels pretty natural. Yes, they were <laughs> clunkier and bleedier. All right, let's move on to track nine, the survivors. crisis and that's absolutely part of what's going on here in the song but neil has stated that that it was also inspired by the suicide of one of his former smash hits co-workers and the survivors is broader than any one individual person it's about all of the people neil has seen die about all of the people you the listener have seen die in turn making you reflect on all of the times all of the weird little folk forks in the road where you could have died but somehow you survived it's kind of a chilling sentiment for such a warm song. It's delivered in such a warm, friendly timbre, so I never really noticed that. Uh, and Neil and Chris both regret not releasing this song as a single. But for me personally, I, I never really cared for it. It has a few too many of those like '90s production accoutrements, like in particular ske- skewing a little too close to Savage Garden's "Truly Madly Deeply" for me. But dang, if you if you don't mind the mawkishness, Neil can do a lyric. This, this one has a real cinematic sound to it. 
like more so than a lot of the stuff on this record. Yeah, it sounds like King's Cross or some of the more some of the, mm-hmm. the more poetic Neil Tennant songs. And I like it. I never. It's never like one I hit repeat on, but he's very good. At this smooth. That's what I was kind of saying before, and I like the the, the ballad style Pet Shop Boys. They're not as adventurous, but they feel really lived in and. They're, the melodies are always at least pretty. Yeah, I mean, more so than when he's he's trying to do something kind of funny and rap. I mean, uh, Very is full of this kind of song. Like Very is just kind of a constant alternation of dance song ballad, dance song ballad. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, this is not Dreaming of the Queen. It's not quite as good, but it's 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 in it's in like that genre. The Pet Shop Boys are good with songs like this because they're they write pretty vocal melodies, but they always throw in a couple twists. It's never just completely standard. It's uh, it's nice. Again, this isn't one of my favorites on the record either, but it's nice. Yeah, this this one sort of falls under their ballad mode that I disparaged earlier, but <laughs> I am flip-flopping. Whoa. I say this one is lovely. It actually made me start bawling when I was listening to this album to prep for this episode, and that may oh. say more about me than the song, but I think both both the melody and the lyrics are beautiful. It's it's life affirming yearning and perseverance are particularly resonant right now and mm-hmm. it caused me to just lose it not that I really believe a, a word. All right, let's move on to the next track on this record before single from bilingual strangely enough and it hit number seven in the uk Uh, so as a sequencing nerd i've always been fascinated that they buried the lead single from bilingual at track 10 but it kind of fits the song's sleepy late night sort of feel like the music video for the song has a lot of like dreamy overlays like it's meant to be projected on the wall at a dance club or something Or, or so my wife tells me she's been to more dance clubs than i have And this song did top the U.S. dance club charts, which are worth talking about really briefly. Uh, So when I mentioned that the Pet Shop Boys are considered an 80s singles act in America, that was just me being straight. So the five most successful artists on the Billboard dance charts are as follows. Madonna, Janet Jackson, Rihanna, Beyonce, and the Pet Shop Boys. To date, they've landed 41 singles in the dance top 40 and topped it 11 times, including as recently as 2016 with the song The Pop Kids, which is great. So I can't stress enough how much these guys are just dance royalty. So I love Before. It's kind of sparse and kind of smeary sounding, very 70s, and I adore the way the chorus kind of glides around the title, like very casually. Uh, And it's one of Chris Lowe's favorites too, saying he says that there's nothing extraneous and no unnecessary musical things happening. And I'm I'm inclined to agree. I've always loved this one. That's interesting to me because I remember reading um, on like some AOL chat room when this album came out, because this was the pre-release single, somebody said that 
they'd been in a club when this had been playing and it utterly cleared the dance floor, which struck me as a bit harsh. I was surprised that it was the first single, but it's it not like it's filler, you know, it's it's not that bass heavy. It isn't like a big dance song. Um, yeah, it, it is. It is very chill. I mean, it, even for this album, it's 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 it kind of rides the line between the the actual pure pop stuff and the ballads. But I really like it. I mean, I, I can't imagine actually dancing to it, uh, but I I think it works it, that it finds that groove immediately. It never gets out of it. Like, it, it kind of be, begins with that little that little rattle and just keeps to this groove the whole time. So I see I can see why Chris Lowe likes it so much. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all his song. Now, actually, good blending of the vocals uh, between Neil Tennant and the and mm-hmm. the female backup singers, um, to, who are mostly mm-hmm. deployed more often for like big dramatic things. There, it really mm-hmm. kind of comes together here. And by the way, I noticed in the credits for this song that it features four additional crew members on programming, drum programming, and keyboards. And I I just didn't want to end the episode without emphasizing that this album isn't just Tennant and Lowe, but it has like an army of engineers and session musicians. Um, And we'll list everybody in the show notes, and we'll also link to a good interview with Pete Gleedall, who did programming for most of the album. All right, well, let's move on to the penultimate track, To Step Aside. By the cathedral into the sun Pilgrims are singing Their journey done I look at my short life and think Of all my champagne that I drink With all the faces that I know And how much to god with these themes neil so in two step aside which is named after a collection of noel coward short stories uh, our brainy frontman and lyricist ponders the day when the pet shop boys are no more when he buys a cottage and lets his legacy rest and sit still so but that's not nearly a big enough theme for neil so he also reflects on the comfort and privilege that allows him to do so so the song was inspired by a holiday in Santiago de Compostela, Spain, where pilgrims walk 120 miles to converge on a nearby cathedral to achieve eternal salvation. Uh, so in Neil's mind, they reach a certainty, a sort of depth of meaning in life that he can't reach from his own lap of luxury. And he quotes, I look at my short life and think of all the champagne that I drink with all the faces that I know and all, and how much further can one go? So... There's more than a little romanticism of the poor in that, uh, but Neil is as aware of class as any Briton, and this is a really smart, uncommonly personal reflection on what it means to be a pet shop boy, which you don't really get very often. As for that sample throughout the song, so a very resourceful Pet Shop Boys fan tracked down the source on YouTube, and it comes from a recording of Spanish gypsy music from a world music sampler CD. Yeah, so they pitched that up. That makes oh, yeah, the song so, totally. That kind of like Brian Eno found four separate songs. So unlike what they usually do, I really that really like mm-hmm. hit me immediately when I heard it, and that's still what I think about. I think the song. 
Yeah, and uh, if you look it up on YouTube, and I'll link to that in the show notes yeah. as well, the CD is labeled World Colors in, like, big, now that's what I call music, rainbow all caps. <laughs> yeah, and as we learned on Pure Moods, world music as a broad concept was in demand, but uh, I think it's a fantastic song with this just epic sweep when the chorus starts, and it, it wakes me up really late in the sleepy dance party. Yeah, I think the uh, samples are the most memorable part of this, because they kind of glide in and just kind of hit you in the head. Mm-hmm. For the rest of the song, I think it's a pretty good song. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm just usually kind of tired by this point in the album. This song doesn't stand out to me as much as some of the other songs, but the floor on this album is pretty high, and it's still a real good song, but I don't have a lot of thoughts about most of it beyond the samples, and I'm not nearly as much of a lyrics guy as Rich, so I didn't even notice the words, but that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, did, I didn't pay a, a ton of attention to the words either, but it's still my favorite song on the album, because largely because of the samples, because they're so borderline sinister in a way that I can't recall them doing before or since. Mm-hmm. It's it's something entirely new for them and entirely strange. Yeah, there is no other Pet Shop Boy song that sounds like this. It's really cool. Yeah, I love it. I like how on this album in general, they are trying a lot of things that they hadn't tried before and often wouldn't try again. Yes. Mm-hmm. And weirdly, those experimental bits are probably the parts of this album that work the best. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, it's it's, it's a good kind of bouncy song. I mean, I really like the 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 sort of pulsating keyboard part under under the chorus. Uh, sorry, under under the pre the the pre chorus. Um, and, you know, and also the Neil Tennant all-timer line, when I look at my life, I think of all the champagne that I drink. I, I appreciate that. I mean, how many Pet Shop Boys does he talk about champagne particularly? More than one. Um, but it's <laughs> like, it is, I don't know why they never chose to do that again. I mean, they do this sort of, uh, I mentioned Brian, you know, before, but it reminds me of, of him throwing in these unusual influences or actually samples of kind of world music into stuff in the late 70s. Or like on My Life in the Bush of Ghosts or something like that. Yeah, just finding all these things and interpolating them into into pop music, and they did it really well here, and then never again. <laughs> but I mean, that, that, that's why the song kind of has always has always stuck with me. I mean, if I'm ever boiling down the album, like I'm reducing it to a few songs to put on a playlist, this this one makes this is one of the non singles that like I always put on. It's just so weird that after this explosion of creativity on this record, because I think it's probably their most creative album after their first couple. They kind of nosedove into uh, nightlife right after this. Yeah, I will not be recommending nightlife coming up. (laughs) All right, well, let's get on with the last track on the album, Saturday Night Forever. 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 I don't care what Forever is a line-for-line add-along to the 12 books in Anthony Powell's literary cycle, A Dance to the Music of Time. 
No, this is just a visit to the dance club, the discotheca our narrator was looking for back at the beginning of the album, bringing things full circle conceptually, if you'd like to look at it that way. Honestly, I've never really thought much of this song, and Chris Lowe isn't fond of the synth brass, which I agree with. It sounds kind of like a bad karaoke backing track to me. Uh, but one thing I do love about this song is that the duo were going for the feel of Stock Aiken Waterman, who are the producers behind Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up, and Kylie Minogue's I Should Be So Lucky, which are the exact same song. <laughs> but Neil and Chris liked the way their their courses kind of explode spontaneously, like a big party broke out, and they tried to do that here, but just not as successfully in my mind. Uh, but it's a fun, breezy closer. It's hard to hate this song. Yeah, that's pretty much my take on it. It's fine. It's It's a fun dance song. I can see why it's the last track on the album. This is definitely the, this one's okay, eh, put it at the end, track. Yeah, it definitely has the feel like the the credits are playing and the, the movie theaters being cl- uh, cleaned up. And this is this song is blasting <laughs> over like the names of the uh, special thanks, the city of Glendale. Um, <laughs> like, but it definitely it, it's wrapping the thing up, but it doesn't really stand on, on its own. That's funny. I call a lot of final tracks closing credits music, but the, I, I did actually specifically think of people cleaning up too with this song. <laughs> it kind of has that feel. I liked it. It's it's completely lightweight, but it's also completely infectious to me. Like, I I am not a happy person. I will likely never be a happy person again since Maine changed its prescription laws to basically outlaw the prescription of tramadol, which is an opioid that's so mild that maybe may as well be a Glade plug-in. But this song gets me as close to dancing as I ever get. <laughs> So I really like it. I'm surprised this wasn't the first single. Oh, yeah, really? I mean, it might only not been the first single because even in, in 96, this has like a little bit. It's like very pushing the very last uh, embers of Acid House and the stuff that was popular at that, at that time. <laughs> yeah, this feels a little old for 1996. Though I guess that didn't stop them from New York City Boy on the next album. Oh, yeah. Something should have. I like that song. I mean, the only um, bilingual songs the band has kind of kept around and used as they've toured. And they're really, for a dance band, a very interesting touring band. They often kind of rearrange and emphasize different parts of their songs like their own remixes. Like, this is a good one I've never heard them really play since this this album was on tour. One thing about this album, too, is I keep thinking of the extra material. This was the period when they recorded a cover of Blur's Girls and Boys. And just oh, yeah. amped, uh, like like amped it to a thousand percent. They figure out like the synth riff is the most fun part, but they make the synth riff even like more powerful and loud yeah. and stuff. So that um that whole this period they were so proud about using big spangly dance music and like I I, I respect that. And this song just it's it's good. It's just like. It doesn't have the, the power of some of the ones, other ones on the album. <clears throat> they also did a really great remix of Hello Space Boy from David Bowie's Outside album. Yes. Yes, that is essential. So I was out of Pet Boys records to find, and I found that remix, and was very happy about it. I guess I want to emphasize, I don't think this is a bad song at all. It just, it doesn't stand out. It's the kind of thing where if I heard it playing somewhere, I would be into it. It's got a good beat. It's it's fun. It's just, I kind of expect more from the Pet Shop Boys. So it suffers from the burden of higher expectations. That's fair enough, yeah. Yeah. And... That concludes our discussion of Bilingual by the Pet Shop Boys. 
Ah, Rich, what are your final thoughts on this album? The Pet Shop Boys are just everything I love about music. They're catchy. They're sincere. They're witty, but with a self-effacing, self-aware streak. They discover inner truths by looking outward at this strange, awful, broken, wonderful world instead of onto themselves. And they have a way with a groove. QED. <laughs> All right. Does anybody else have any thoughts on this? Yeah, the album's really fun. I think there have been points in my life when I said it's my favorite Pet Shop Boys album. I think it's lost that place since then. Uh, just because I think Ver- Very is exactly the kind of Pet Shop Boys injection I want from time to time. Uh, electric is is the late Pet Shop Boys sound I like. And this one, <laughs> even though it has the most experiments, the most diversions from what they normally sound like, and I appreciate that, I think there's just a, a, enough enough kind of middling stuff on the album in between the amazing songs that I, I like. don't put it in my pantheon anymore. But it's really good. It's, it's also just... It is uh, the points you're making before about how they got really experimental, then stopped immediately. It is one of those albums where you hear like, um, this wasn't a band that was going to like add new members and go in a new, new musical direction, but where they 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 had an inventiveness in this that makes it just exciting to listen. Even when I'm re-listening to it, like I was before the show, and rediscovering the 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 way the the compositions, the influence, the samples, and all that, it has more going on than the average Pet Shop Boys album, and some that I re- like listen to on repeat a bit more often like give me what I know the band's already good at so I always like the experimentation here but when I'm returning to one album or recommending one album to somebody I usually do very now and very is you know mm, yeah. such candy floss that it's it's pretty undeniable and there's some stuff on here that I can I can deny all right so rich let's say our listeners pick up a copy of bilingual and they're like wow this is great what else should they listen to well, good news. If you're sheepish about Greatest Hits collections, well, one, don't be. And two, the Pet Shop Boys singles comp discography is essential even for fans. Uh, it's got all the hits, and they're often in superior remixes that fill out the sound and like cut out the fat from the album versions. If you don't mind hunting down a CD in this era, the Pet Shop Boys put out some of their best, hardest-hitting tracks on their B-sides, uh, and the 1995 compilation Alternative rounds all of them up. So... All of these songs are available on the further listening reissues of their studio albums, which we mentioned earlier, but I like having them all in one place, personally. They're some of my favorite songs by the group. Um, and it, it actually features my favorite Pet Shop Boy song of all, which is the uh, the George Michael Shade track, Bet She's Not Your Girlfriend. Whisper of the town, cause you're my friend, and that's the end, for you're the only one in town who they would beg to hang around with. You're so beautiful and calm, but with an attitude that says hands off, you're just not. bilingual the the group kind of retreated into chamber pop for years with the occasional banger but in 2013 they suddenly unleashed the album electric which might actually be my favorite pet shop boys album or at least tied with this one it has really crisp fully electronic production from Stuart price and the single love is a bourgeois construct is both one of their best songs and the most quintessentially pet shop boys song title ever it's really funny
yeah, that, that, one's, that one's fantastic too. And I also, if you're into best of albums, I'm not sure if anyone it still is, but they had a compilation called Pop Art that I think is still my favorite. It it does the classic uh, Greatest Hits era thing where they record new songs for just the album that you have to buy the album for. But they did the same thing with Discography, mm-hmm. and both times they're really good. <laughs> like, Discography has um, has a couple of unique tracks to it, and this one has their... Uh, Pop Art has their cover of Somewhere. Yeah, from West Side Story. From West Side Story, yeah. which they turn into, like, a giant rave. Like, whenever they do a cover and they, they are able to deconstruct some melody and just turn it into a giant glow glow stick song it's always good Their cover of somewhere it actually came out around this it actually came out around the time of bilingual and uh, they perform I've, I've heard them perform it live and yeah, devo did it better <laughs> i'll just say this if you are inclined to actually purchase cds which very few people are these days but our listeners hypothetically might be if you're buying individual pet shop boys albums it is worth it to track down the further listening versions with the bonus discs because very frequently the material on those bonus discs is either as good or even better than what's on the albums proper. So you're missing yeah. out on a lot of the story if you don't get the bonus discs. They're the rare bonus discs that are not fans only. Yeah, they're they're not just like demo version, demo version, demo version. They have some of demo versions, but they usually are interesting. And I think they continue them up through, they don't have one for Electric, but they actually kept putting them out through Elysium. Uh, I mean, I think the thing now is just that they've, I believe their label farewell wasn't it yeah yeah they they got like more control over their music uh, for the three albums since then so it turns out when they have control they don't want to go through the entire catalog and make a second disc of, of, of b-sides <laughs> um but you could just like buy them or stream them now but that's the thing with them that they they put such craft into the b-sides and the extraneous tracks that whenever there's something in the album that's not that great i'm always confused like you guys had a gigantic pile of incredible melodies and you did this all right all right and like well, I won't second guess, even though, as Rich is pointing out, sometimes they second guess themselves in interviews mm-hmm. years, years later and admit they should have put something else in the album. All right, I guess that brings us to the end. Next episode. Does anyone know what time it is? It's Toll Time! Phil is going to be talking about Jethro Toll's 1969 album, Stand Up, whose LP Gatefold has some really, really cool pop-up art. Toll is Phil's favorite band, so be sure not to miss this one. It's going to be great. And to close things off, I'm pretty sure Neil and Chris are stuck inside right now, too. Just hanging around. So in that spirit, here's their most recent single, Monkey Business. Roll credits. Bring me margaritas, champagne and red wine. We're gonna have a party where we all cross the line. Thank you for listening to Discord and Rhyme. You can buy Bilingual and other albums by the Pet Shop Boys at your local discoteca, directly from the bands at petshopboys.co.uk, or the usual places such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, and Amazon. 
We've also made you a Spotify playlist that you can find on our website, discordpod.com. You can follow Discord and Rhyme at discordpod on Twitter for news and updates, and on Instagram for pictures of our pets. Editing is by Rich, and special thanks to Mike for his production and editing skills. Also, special thanks to Dave for coming by to talk about this album. Thanks for showing up, Dave. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Oh, man, it was great. Good to relive this. Good to listen to it again. I've been on a kick of very different music, and this reset my brain in a nice way. See you next album, and be ever wonderful.